If you're not already a subscriber to the London Review of Books, now is the perfect time to try. Sign up for just £5 a month and treat yourself to some of the world's best writing from Europe's leading magazine of culture and ideas. Subscribe now while you're listening to this podcast at lrb.me forward slash now. That's lrb.me forward slash now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. Um, thanks very much. And actually, what... Um come to think of it with Remainder when it was first published in its little art press edition the LRB shop was one of the first places in London to support it so I'm really grateful and okay I'm going to read a short passage um, from quite early on in the book Um, if you listen to the to the radio in 1911 you don't hear voices or music or whatever you just hear well noise and um, clicks against the noise and the clicks are either long or short corresponding to the dashes and dots of of Morse code and then the receivers would transcribe it afterwards Um, and most of the traffic would be ship to ship or ship to shore but there was also a kind of army of mainly teenage boys in their bedrooms with little DIY radio sets, receivers listening, kind of enchanted by um, the air full of what Rilke calls geräusch, right? Crackle, crackle of the universe. And this is exactly what's going on in this passage. The hero Serge is, is aged about um, 12, 13, and he's doing exactly that. The statics, like the sound of thinking, not of any single person thinking, nor even a group thinking collectively. It's bigger than that, wider and more direct, It's like the sound of thought itself, its hum and rush. Each night, when Serge drops in on it, it recoils with a wail, then rolls back in crackling waves that carry him away, all rudderless, until his finger, nudging at the dial, can get some traction on it all, some sort of leeway. The first stretches are angry, plaintive, sad, and always mute. It's not until, hunched over the potentiometer among fraying cords and soldered wires, his controlled breathing and extension of the frequency of air he's riding on, he gets the first quiet clicks that words start forming. First he jots the signals down as straight graphite lines, long ones and short ones. Then, below these, he begins to transcribe curling letters, dim and grainy, in the arc light of his desktop. He's got two masks set up. There's a 22-foot pine one topped with 15 more feet of bamboo, all all bolted to an oak stump base half-buried in the garden. Tent pegs circle the stump round. Steel guy wires, double insulated, climb from these to tether the mask down. On the chimney of the main house, a pole three feet long reaches the same height as the bamboo. Between the masts are strung four 18-gauge manganese copper wires threaded through oak-lathe crosses. In Serge's bedroom, there's a boxed tuning coil containing 20 feet of silk-covered platinoid, shellacked and scraped. The transmitter itself is made of standard brass, a four-inch tapper arm keeping Serge's finger a safe distance from the spark gap. The spark gap flashes blue each time he taps. 
It makes a spitting noise, so loud he's had to build a silence box around the desk to isolate his little RX station from the sleeping household, or, as it becomes more obvious to him with every session, to maintain the little household's fantasy of isolation from the vast sea of transmission roaring all around it. Tonight, as on most nights, he starts out local, sweeping from 250 to 400 metres. It's the usual traffic, CQ signals from experimental wireless stations in Maystown and Ellery, tapping out their call signs and then slipping into Q code once another bug's responded. They exchange signal quality reports, compare equipment, inquire about variations in the weather and degrees of atmospheric interference. Serge moves up to 500 metres. Here are stronger, more decisive signals, coastal stations' call signs flung from towering masts, Poldoos transmitting its weather report, a few nudges away, Malin, Cleethorpes, Nordyke send out theirs, Liverpool's exchanging messages with tugboats in the Mersey, Serge transcribes a rotor of towing duties for tomorrow. Further out, the light ship Tongues reporting a derelict's position. The coordinates click their way in from to the Seaforth station, then flash out again to be acknowledged by Marconi operators of commercial liners, one after the other. The ship's names reel off in litany. Falaba, British Sun, Scania, Morea, Carmania, each name appendaged by its church, Cunard, Cunard Line, Allen, Aberdeen Direct, Canadian Pacific Railway, Holland America. The clicks peter out, and Serge glances at the clock. It's half a minute before one. A few seconds later, Paris's call sign comes on, FL for Eiffel. Serge taps his finger on the desktop to the rhythm of the huge tower's standby clicks, then holds it still and erect for the silent lull that always comes just before the time code. All the operators have gone silent, boats, coastal stations, bugs, all waiting, like him, for the quarter-second dots to set the air, the world, time itself back in motion as they chime the hour. They sound, and then the headphones really come to life. The press digest goes out from Niton, Poldu, Malin, Cadiz, Diario del Atlantico, Journal de l'Atlantique, Atlantic Daily News, Madero and Suarez shot in Mexico while trying to escape. Trade tap pact between Entretien de Shocking Domestic Tragedy in Beau, Il Fondatore husband unable to prevent the stories blur together Serge sees a man clutching a kitchen knife chasing a politician across parched earth past cacti and armadillos while ambassadors wave papers around fugitive and pursuer negotiating terms grain up five Lloyd's down two Australia all out for 421 England 62 for three in reply Malin's got ten private messages for Lusitania, seven for Campania, two for Olympic. Request instructions how to proceed with the honour of your company on the occasion of weighing seven and a half pounds a girl. The operators stay on after the Marconi grams have gone through, chatting to one another. Carrigans moved to President Lincoln, Borstable to Malwa. The company football team drew two all against the Evening Standard 11. Old Allsop, wireless instructor at Marconi House, is getting married on the 22nd. His tapper finger firing up her spark gap, short, then long. Olympic and Campania are playing a game of chess. K4 to Q7, K4 to K5, they always start K4. Serge transcribes for a while, then lays his pencil down and lets the sequences run through the space between his ears, sounding his skull. There's a fluency to them, a rhythm that's spontaneous, as though the clicks were somehow speaking on their own and didn't need the detectors, keys or finger-twitching men who cling to them like afterthoughts. He climbs up to 600 and picks up ice reports sent out from whalers. Floberg slash growler, 5 inch, 10, 
4563 lat 36 w 12 inch 39.37 long field ice 59 north 42 43 54 lat 14 w 45 56 25 long compagnie de telegraphie sans fi reports occasional light snow off friesland paris comes on again again the cycle pauses and restarts then bergen crookhaven tarifa malaga gibraltar serge pictures gardenias tucked behind girls ears red dresses and the blood of bulls he hears news forwarded via port said and rome from abyssinia and sees an african girl strumming on some kind of mandolin jet black breasts glowing darkly through light silk suez is issuing warnings of somali raiders further down the coast more names process by Isle of Perim, Zanzibar, Isle of Socotra, Persian Gulf. Parades of tents line themselves up for him. Inside them, dancers serving sherbet. Outside, camels saddled with rich carpets, deserts opening up beneath red skies. The air is rich tonight, still and cold, high pressure, the best time of year. He lets a fart slip from his buttocks and waits for its vapor trail of his vapor to reach his nostrils. It too carries signals, odor messages from distant, unseen bowels. When it arrives, he slips the headphones off, opens the silence cabin's door to let some air in, and hears a goods train passing half a mile away. The pulsing of its carriage joins above the steel rails carries to him cleanly. He looks down at his desk, the half-worn pencil, the light's edge across the paper sheet, the tuning box, the tapper. These things, here, solid, tangible, are somehow made more present by the tinny sound still spilling from the headphones lying beside them. The sound's present, too, material. Serge sees its ripples snaking through the sky, pleats in its fabric, joins pulsing as they make their way down corridors of air and moisture, rock and metal, oak, pine and bamboo. Above 650, the clicks dissipate into a thin, pervasive noise, like dust. Discharges break across this, distant lightning, aurora borealis, meteorites. Their crashes and eruptions sound like handfuls of buckshot thrown into a tin bucket or a bucket full of grain-rich gravy dashed against a wash boiler. Wireless ghosts come and go, moving in arpeggios that loop, repeat, mutate, then disappear. Serge spares that spends the last half hour or so of each night up here among these pitches, nestling in their contours as his head nods towards the desktop and lights flash across the inside of his eyelids, pushing them outwards from the centre of his brain, so far out that the distance to their screen seems infinite. They seem to contain all distances, envelop space itself, curving around it like a patina, a mould. Once, he picked up a CQD, a distress signal. It came from the Atlantic, 200 or so miles off Greenland. The Pachatea, merchant vessel of the Peruvian steamship company, had hit an object, maybe whale, maybe iceberg, and was breaking up. The nearest vessel was another South American, Acania, but it was 50 miles away. Galway had picked the call up, so had La Havre, Malin, Poldu, and just about every ship between Southampton and New York. Fifteen minutes after Serge had locked onto the signal, half the radio bugs in Europe had tuned into it as well. The Admiralty put a message out instructing amateurs to stop blocking the air. Serge ignored the order, but lost the signal beneath general interference. The atmospherics were atrocious that night. He listened to the whine and crackle, though, right through till morning, and heard, or thought he heard, among its breaks and flecks, the sound of people treading cold, black water, their hands beating small disturbances into waves that had come to bury them. I'll stop. I'll stop there. Um, wow. I, just, I love um, static is uh, a 
the sound of thought. I think that's a great place to kind of um, ask you a few questions. Um, if anyone knows Tom's writing, you know it's saturated with codes and signals and transmission and mediation and things like that. Um, I was just listening to you then, but I was also just thinking about when we first met, which was back in 2005, and Remainder had just been published um, in Paris by Metronome, and I got this email from him. It just says, hello, Lee Rourke, I've got a book, um, would you like to have a look at it? And um, out of the ether. And I said, yes, and he says, and then you said, phone me back, here's my number. And I phoned you back, and he says, can you meet me? I said, yeah, and, and you said, I said, where should I meet you? Usually... I meet people in pubs or they post me their books because I was doing a lot of reviewing then. You said, Bunhill Fields. <laughs> and um, I said, OK, Graveyard. Well, it turned out that was exactly halfway between where you were and where I was. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't that. It wasn't okay. that. I'm, I'm still, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway. <laughs> so I walk into Bunhill Fields. There's this triangulation of Defoe and Blake and Bunyan. And there you are, and you hand me remainder. I didn't think much of it then, but I think it kind of sums you up as a writer because everything is this kind of messing around with the symbolic order or things past and also signals and things like that. But more so transmission, especially with C. I mean, I've read this twice now, and um, ostensibly it's about technology and transmission. But the thing I found about it is it's about the production of technology. It's not just about technology. You know, Serge's father, your protagonist, he's constantly inventing, he's constantly trying to make, you know, his wireless uh, system. Uh, when Serge, you know, um, serves in the First World War, the engineers are constantly trying to build this, this new plane, which, which you know, exceeds the, the, the previous, but they, they keep failing, it's never good enough. And then finally, you know, as we get to the, the, the latter stages of the novel, there's this... Um, you know, building of, of this huge transmission network, the Empire, which ultimately fails again. And um, for me, it's a, it is the production of, of technology. Um, and I'm interested in that because, and I'm interested in it because it's a very German novel. Um, yeah. And I was put in mind of, of Heidegger's essay, um, The Question Concerning Technology. And he says that, um, you know, the possibility of all productive manufacturing lies in revealing and technology therefore is no mere means it's a form of revealing and um, I want you to kind of talk us through what you're trying to kind of articulate through technology and the revealing and the process of forming in technology and why you think it's so linked to literature why why is this 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 link okay well I Start with the Heidegger thing, right? I mean, for him, it's it's about revealing, and that's what techne means, right? In Greek, it means to kind of reveal and unfold. But for Heidegger, it's always this double movement. It, it conceals as it reveals, and even what it reveals is concealment of revealment of concealment, almost like some infinite regress. And so it's kind of gnostic, almost. I mean, Heidegger was was he was a Catholic, you know? I mean, he hadn't abandoned theism when when he thinks about technology and I think that's that's very much in the kind of German tradition I mean in in Kafka it works the same way Te- I mean technology isn't in, for a sci-fi writer technology is interesting in some kind of boyish way because it's just about all the wires and stuff and I I don't even know how to wire a plug hardly I mean it's not what interests me it's about this kind of the way it may be not not the way it stands in for something else but the way it it, it, it kind of may be can play out this this whole gnostic process. So you get passages in, for example, in America, where where Carl becomes fascinated with the lift that he's operating as a bellboy, and he just wants to know that the kind of the mechanism behind the mechanism. And all the other lift boys are going, I wish I too yearn to know this, but we shall never know. It will never be revealed to, to us. And or in in the castle, you've got you know the static on the telephone seems like it's got. Well, a a connection to to the castle, and and where, where he wants to be, and also it's got these kind of seems to have these children's voices singing at an infinite distance, just beyond the sound of hearing. It's this kind of seductive, like the mermaids for Elliot, but you're never going to swim with them. <laughs> it's, just, it's not going to happen. So so it's this kind of double move, I guess, that's that's kind of aesthetically and and kind of um, psychically interesting. I wouldn't use the word psychological, but that's kind of interesting from that point of view. 
and and that's linked to literature because literature it is kind of the same. It's about revealing and concealing. Literature mm. is technology in that respect. And, and do you think you're revealing this this kind of mode of transition uh, transmission where? via technologies there is the hidden there is this what's already lying underneath can yeah. be brought to the totally but, but also reinterred as well I mean it's always that, that double move I mean a kind of piece of conceptual soft hardware software whatever that I kind of kept in mind while I was writing this book was the notion of the crypt as it's been elaborated by, by psychoanalysts like most in particular Nicholas Abraham and Maria Torok out of Freud and they they talk about um, neurosis and, and especially melancholic neurosis mm. as a type of crypt. So it's it, it's about encryption and encrypted transmission, yeah. you know, I mean, communication. But at the same time, it's always about burial and, and encoding and putting out of view. And I guess that's what's kind of what's going on through technology here. But ultimately, you know, I was thinking about this because I knew you were going to ask me about technology, and I was thinking on the way here, maybe this book isn't about technology at all. I mean, technology is just a big red herring. I mean, what it's about is networks. Mm -hmm. And, okay, the the World Wide Web, as it emerges in the early 20th century through radio, that's one network. But so is the network of the history of literature. You know, that they're kind of... The deaf children are reciting Ovid and all this kind of stuff. And family networks and networks of family secrets... I mean, that, that's what's really meshing or overlaying in, in a way. Okay. And, um, and then what, I guess the real question is, what, what's in the networks? And, and the answer is, is desire. I mean, that's, that's where it really gets interesting for me, the way that kind of networks mediate or carry desire. And that's, I guess that's what the book's kind of more profoundly about, more than the, the technology itself. I think so. And also it ties in with the kind of melancholia Mm-hmm. And how that's tied in with technology. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of um, Freud's, you know, technology as a form of prosthesis. prosthesis yeah. Um, you know, we become um, godlike. I, I want to move on to that in a minute, but I want to stick to this kind of Germanic theme in this book. And um, this, this, for me, the most exhilarating part of it um, is the um, the part where Serge is. Um, he's in the First World War, and he's 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 you know he's in the aircrafts flying. Um, I, it, for me, it's it's a form of pure poetry. Those, those sections in the book, um, they echo, and you, you know, he he's thinking of Hodelin and, um, and and writers like that. And it's 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 basically this this idea that he becomes this kind of godlike figure yeah. um, at that stage in in, in the book. Um, there's this kind of mapping of so much. There's the mapping below him. There's the mapping in the, the air, vapor trails. The vapor yeah. trails. Marks. So I want you to talk about, you know, where you're coming from with that. I mean, you're, you're obviously echoing, um, you know, Marinetti and, and people like that. But there's also this um, idea of, you know, this kind of this kind of poetry and this kind of fusion of the godlike and, and yeah. you know, he becomes this modernist hero yeah. but he's thinking of Hodelin you know and yeah. I just want to know you know what you're trying to do there well the Hodelin thing I mean it turns out that German World War One soldiers were actually handed out Hodelin alongside yeah. their spam and whatever else right. whereas the English just got like a houseman or some crap you know so I mean it's uh, it was the better side to be on from the German point of view definitely or from the poetic literary point of view but I mean this idea yeah it, it is those passages are heavily leaning on um, on Marinetti of, of course but it's not just you know I mean people people associate Marinetti with just technology and maybe fascism and but, but he's actually he's, he's very interesting you know he, he kind of for me he kind of anticipates lots of writers like Alan Rob Grier and, and, and thinkers like Lacan it's all about um, geometry mm. so, so the reason he likes war is that space becomes Geometry. It's about the trajectories of ordnance and the and the grids of maps. And he's and happy things. that he sees things flatly. He's oh, happy. Serge is very happy mm. to, to see things flat. And, and and so being amidst the the the, I mean, pinching is in there a lot as well, right? The, the the parabola of the of the bombs and stuff. I mean, but but being among this kind of geometry, he almost feels that he's kind of becoming geometry or that he's becoming some kind of inscription. I mean, that, that thing with Holdlin, there's, it, it, it's almost 
it's as close as you can get without actually quoting to a particular bit of, of Heidegger, which is um, it's from his essay, What Are Poets yeah. For? And he, and he takes those very lines. The The, the Abgrund. He takes lines from that same poem, Pat Moss, and Holdlin's idea that the poet goes into the, the abyss, which is actually a kind of almost like a palimpsest, yeah. a, a pad which is full of tracks and traces, the marks of the vanished god, the kind of material inscriptions, the remainders, and, and, and the poet kind of reads them and this is very much what, what Serge is doing. So the sky becomes a kind of archive, and it mm. becomes this... Um, also, you know, he's facing backwards as well, which is like, that's a, yeah, Benjamin, like the angel of history, faces backwards, but it turns out the, the observer on planes actually do, did face backwards. So, it's, so it's wonderful. He's there, he's in, you know, he's in this abgrund, he's, he's marking this kind of abyss, yeah. um, and he's feeling the weight of gravity pulling him back down. And, yeah. You know, most people associate gravity with death, and he's, he's you know, he is, he is this godlike figure in the face of kind of death in, in the yeah. abyss. And, and Hodling talks about, you know, um, to paraphrase him, that, you know, it's when, when we're in this, this godless, the gods can't really do that much, but it's up to mortals to, to strike into the abyss yeah. to, to make that. But Hodling has a, this is something that that crazy German guy, um, Kitzler, is really good of, about writing about, that, that Hodling is ultimately a kind of, the whole thing for Hodling is acoustic. I mean, it kind of anticipates... Well, I mean, so for Holdlin, the reason that, that the poet needs to go into the abgrund or the abyss and, and read the traces is to make everything resound again and make, make Pan sing once more. And um, I love the idea that technology does this. This is, you know, kind of what a, a record needle is, is mm. doing. I mean, it's an absolutely <clears throat> literal level. There have been marks laid down by someone else who's gone and the, and the needle is kind of reading it and, and making some kind of harmony or, or, or whatever, static, harmony and static yeah. mixed, mixed together. And, and so I suppose, I mean, early in the book, Serge and his sister spent so long looking at needles and records, listening to dead German children called um, Rainer's voices. And, and, uh, and so the war kind of becomes an expansion of, of that. The, mm. the tracks of the battlefield are, are grooves. and It seems to be this mapping and recording of... Yeah, of, and replaying. And, yeah, yeah. Which, which ties into your... this. You know, uh, there's lots of uh, people have had lots of fun, including yourself, with, you know, the letter C and everything associated with it, and also with technology and everything else, the poetry, which is in this book. But there's also a... Um, I remember when you... We spoke and you said you were writing this, and I says, "Oh, what's C about?" You know, and you says, "Oh, it's about mourning with a U, and um, you know, and melancholia, and you know, and I'd I'd not read Freud for such a long time, and it is absolutely brilliant. I mean, he he's just so spot on, and I want you to talk about how mourning and melancholia ties in with this, but also how I mean, you've written extensively about um, this kind of projection of. Um, that voices from the dead via technological means and things like that. And um, I just want you to talk about this. There's also um, an image within the book of the uh, lac beetle. Um, and, you know, um, it secretes this... Yeah, shellac. This shellac. That's what records were made out of. Which the records were made vinyl. out of then. Yeah. But this also ties in with kind of Freud, you know, the black bile and things yeah. like this. Serge, Serge mishears it as lack with a K. Yeah, what yeah, am yeah. I lacking? You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and but he, he he is the lack beetle. Exactly, and you know, I want to know how that works with that, and I want to know, you know, he seems to have this steadfast refusal to mourn what Freud would call the lost object, which is his yeah. sister who yeah. who sadly dies. Um, I, I want to know how how all that works. Well, well, Freud makes this kind of this classical distinction between mourning on the one hand and melancholia on the other. So mourning is, you know, you lose someone and you mourn for a bit, you know, if it's a girlfriend, it's two months, if it's a family member, it's two years or, or what, you know, and, and then, then you, you replace the object and you move on. And with melancholia, this, this process doesn't, it, the object never gets replaced. So it just, he, he uses all this really rich vocabulary, like, like it's, it's like an open wound that suppurates and infects the whole system. And, um, so the lost one is, is kind of replaced, but by a void, by, by an internal kind of crypt. And later writers like Derrida kind of, um, Derrida calls it kind of internal vomiting, like this kind of ejection that inside. Um, and so I guess this is what, what Serge is doing. I mean, he, he refuses to mourn. I'm, I'm not interested in kind of sentimentalism at all. And mm. I wanted really to reject that at every level. And because melancholia is a much 
more interesting kind of process. I mean, if you think of in literature, you know, Hamlet, Antigone, all these classic figures, they're all melancholics. It's it's a much kind of more productive and, and disruptive and, and and also melancholia takes the form of a set of encryptions, right? Yeah. The whole world becomes a site of mourning. So Serge can't mourn, but then the world becomes the screen in which this loss is is mourned. So the war itself is a kind of melancholic kind of a- activity. It, it's interesting that you say he you know he refuses to be sentimental. I mean yeah. this will tie into other things that I'm gonna ask you about, you know, the humanist tradition and things like that. But you know he, he refuses to mourn and you, structurally within this, you're, you're kind of... You obsess about the brute materiality of things. You obsess about matter. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's this, this, this minute detail of the lac beetle secreting... Yeah. It's, you know, this, this black substance. And throughout the, the novel, there's the motif of this blackness, this inkiness, this yeah. sea of ink. And well, then the- towards the end, you know, there's this kind of um, image of, of uh, Serge who he's... Sweating, he's, the he's sweating he's black, and, and it's it's mixed in with. And he's time. got this Shakespeare sonnet in his head that yeah. just goes that in black ink, that in black ink, my love may still shine bright. It's like a stuck needle as, as he mm. kind of dies. So I told you the end, but, <laughs> but I can tell you it's not that kind of book, is there? I don't think there's any spoilers. Really, no, no, no. But the material. I mean, melancholia was originally conceived as a material. Melachole means black bile, mm. and it was thought in the in the medieval, you know, in the Middle Ages, that melancholics had an excess of black bile in their stomach, and they needed to kind of people would take to the waters. People would take to the waters and and, and and try and wash it out and become wholesome and and good again. And and yeah, so I guess I'm I'm kind of, I mean, or, or you know, in 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 remainder too, there's there's an absolute kind of materialism to it, not in a kind of Marxist sense, but in a in a kind of you know, the sticky, messy excessiveness yeah. of, of matter. In a way, that's the real hero of, of the books. And, and I wanted to p- play out not just mourning, but all of the issue, the associated issues around like writing and, and, you know, whatever, desire and everything, totally materially. I mean, there's the scene where he goes and debunks the spiritualist. Yeah. But even as, as he exposes him and, and the crowd kind of smash his magic table, this little, it looks like a, a drop of oil and it's a little bug, that, a little woodlouse or something that comes out. So there's this kind of, it's, again, it's a kind of double play. I mean, there, is, um, there are remainders and, and revenants and returners from the dead, but they're material, always material. Yeah, you, I think that's a theme that you hold within everything you do, basically this idea that everything returns, everything will. There's the, the, within the book, there's um, the part where they're explaining the, the you know, the, the signals are bouncing in between the, yeah. the earth's, you know, the, the atmosphere, and, and you know, and one day, you know, they're going to return, and we may be able to tune into things that have already happened. But it's true. I mean, there are yeah. there are aliens listening to 1930 radio shows as as we speak. Uh, Mark Cohen's <laughs> SOS. Exactly. Yeah. There were these amazing theories, though, in the kind of in the 20s about what are those bits of static is it just residues are we hearing the first three s's that went across the atlantic and yeah you seem to want to kind of you know uh, articulate that as well but there's a book that a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You quote from, uh, in interviews, aberrations of mourning, writing on German crypts. And there's a quote. Um, from this, every point of contact between a body and its media extension marks the site of some secret burial. Yeah. Now, within C, there's 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 all the kind of Marinetti things happening, and you've also said in INS um, manifestos and declarations that the future begins with a car crash. Um, you know, the avant-garde has already been derailed. It's already failed in yeah. its kind of... Inception. Inception. So, you know, there's a very strategic moment in this. There's the car crash. And then we have this complete change where he he's off to Egypt and there's this almost kind of archaeology happening. But it's also very Freudian. He's, he's, it's also like he's kind of curing himself. There's, there's lots of these labyrinthine kind of scenes where he's... You know, he's in the tombs and he's going down to different antechambers and different chambers, and it's almost like he's within himself trying to cure himself. But he's like kind this. of pulling, you know, um, what's that material called that they use for roads? Not this bitumen. Word. Bitumen, yeah. like tarmac. It's full of bitumen and limbs and bones yeah. and just rubbish. And, and some of it's Lipton's tea from two years ago, and some of it is some some Egyptian pharaohs. And there's this kind of <laughs> archaeology. Not only of himself, kind of, but also of literature, and also of you know our kind of history, and you know, and and the empire, and things yeah. like this. And there's so much going on there. Um, but there's also this kind of motif of the crypt, the burial, um, and also this idea that voices um, are kind of mediated there from mm-hmm. beyond. This is the motif of the record, and I always think of HMV, his master's voice. It's a dog looking at a record player, um, listening to a voice. And I heard, or you may have told me, that it didn't used to be a the record player. It, it was, was a, a coffin. It was a coffin, yeah. The idea was that his master is dead, but the yeah. dog doesn't know it because... Yeah, and, and with, the voice with, also with telephone so boxes, when yeah. they, the, they were... Yeah, the guy that designed them, also he, he designed the crypt, in fact, at um, that church just on Euston Road, and that's why they have that funny kind of yeah. thing at the so top. There's, so throughout your work, there's this idea that, you know, voices um, are, are, are being recorded, um, that, you know, the dead is, is still with us. And, and, and in this book... Um, Lawrence Rickles, he talks, you know, death shouldn't be called death, it should be this kind of... I know he says mourning shouldn't be, the word mourning is no longer adequate, we should call it the the audio and video broadcasts of improper burial. (laughs) So so mourning is, all media is mourning and all mourning is media, which is a very extreme, but I mean it's a brilliant book actually, it was quite a good kind of compass for me, this this, um, aberrations of of mourning. Um, Yeah, he, yeah. Excellent. Well, there's this idea, you know, um, Serge refuses to mourn. and um, But I read it as, you know, he refuses to engage with a certain tradition of writing. You call it, you know, he, you don't want him to be sentimental. Yeah. Um, now, it's, it's really weird. There's been lots of kind of reviews of your novel and, and people have been calling it experimental or an anti-novel. I mean, if that's an anti-novel, I don't know what a novel is um, because it's not an anti-novel um, so I just want you to kind of talk about why people aren't really getting this kind of anti-humanist kind of manifesto that everything you have kind of produced is I don't know why I mean some do some don't I mean I think there are there are kind of I, I think this is becoming more and more clear to me I mean it seems to me that the two cultures that you know that that term that C.P. Snow used to talk about art, art and science. I don't think it's art and science anymore. After like Ballard or Gravity's Rainbow and stuff. I mean, it's not that they seem to be operating quite well together in many ways. I think it's it, the two cultures that are kind of more or less irreconcilable. A kind of humanism on the one hand, and on the other, a, a, a whatever tradition, discourse, practice, whatever you want to call it, that's kind of informed by by modernism and by modernity and by psychoanalysis and philosophy and all the amazing stuff that's happened in the last hundred years, which has galvanised literature and, and given it so many potentials, but, but, 
but a road that it's closed is this kind of sentimental I mean I'm not talking about you know centuries of great secular humanism I'm talking about a kind of regressive sentimentalism which I th- I, unfortunately is kind of the dominant mode with, within the publishing industry it's kind of what is expected of you if you're a if you're a writer trying to get your first novel published that is what everyone wants mm. and um, I, I just don't see how the the two kind of whatever camps seem to rest on such utterly utterly different conceptions of everything of what, what it is to write what it is to represent what a self is what a subject is I mean I just can't see I was I, I gave I gave my mother this book um by Claude Simon, who's brilliant, you know, he won the Nobel Prize, he's fantastic. Um, and it was, uh, it was triptych, I think. Yeah, it was triptych. And, I mean, you know, she, she's an academic and, and she read it and, and liked it very much, but she said, if, if this is literature, and it is, but if this is literature, then what mainstream British fiction is doing isn't, and vice versa. They're just not, they shouldn't be allowed to be called the same thing, you know? <laughs> because they've just, it's just diverged so much. And, um, that's the way it seems to me. I mean, I could be wrong. There could be maybe there are points where they kind of meet in the middle, but I can't, I can't really it's, think of any. It's funny. Some people, <laughs> people, some people just don't know where to kind of categorise it. I mean, you've been called the kind of you know, as I said just then, this anti-novelist, which you're not, and this experimental writer, which you're not really. And then, Burroughs is experimental. I exactly, mean, this, this yeah. is this is has a quite conventional nineteenth-century well, exactly. But but mainframe. But then people way. think, oh, it's a historical novel. But I would. Mm, uh, it's not a not historical really. novel. That's a bit of a red. Yeah. I, I kind of, I see it. There's there's the he's thrust into existence surge. He moves forward, but there's also this movement back as yeah. well, where you you're kind of excavating. You know, you're, there's this archaeology happening yeah. as well. But there's also a loop, and it, it kind of made me think of um, Beckett's um, crap's last tape. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this technology doesn't take you forward. It yeah, brings it's you about back. A, an embedding. It's about yeah. a kind of everything becoming richer. I mean, I mean, that's. I mean, Beckett's. You know, I mean, he's he's a hero of mine, and and especially in Remainder, the kind of all the logic behind the repetitions. Yeah. That if you repeat the same thing again and again and again, it's it's not boring. It's actually really. That's why kids redo Zidane's goal in the playground the next day a hundred times because you know you get to re- you know it, it becomes richer and richer and more and more intimacy with kind of um, details and mnemonic little ciphers and so on and yeah so 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 that's very much I think the way that you know that angel of history thing I mean if the angel of history faces backwards definitely the angel of of literature does and the most radical and and um, you know, new writers like Joyce, you know. I mean, the reason Finnegan's Wake is so new is because it's so um, regressive in a way. Mm. He's looking back to the origins of literature and just kind of embedding everything in it. I mean, and and in a way, actually, even Finnegan's Wake is very traditional. It's, It's got the main drivers of, you know, it's got the family and economics and kind of like Balzac or something. Yeah. Or Dickens, you know, so... So anyhow, y- yes, um, to the loop and everything. Agree, yes. <laughs> but also, sorry, just talking Finnegan's Wake, I mean, the, the, I think after Joyce, you, you kind of just realise everything is code. Or after Rob Grier, there's nothing more authentic about realism than about anything else. I mean, realism is a literary convention. It's yeah. as, as laden with artifice mm. as anything else. There's nothing more actually... Re- Burroughs used to say, you know, my cut-ups are a more realistic depiction of, of what mental activity is like and what experience is like than a kind of novel that begins on the 12th of December, comma, mm. you know, I got out of bed, comma, and thinking of this, walk down the street. I mean, it's not how you live. No, the cut-up is... Out. So, so anyhow, everything is a convention. And once you realise this, that there's... You know, I didn't have any... any um, anxiety or, or any... I, I didn't have any anxiety about using a particular type of code as, as, as the mainframe, you know, that this, this kind of realist code, because it's just another code. And also it's a kind of Trojan horse. I mean, it, it's the one that allows you to do in this climate what you want to do most effectively, rather than Xeroxing cut-ups and, you know, in, in, you know, editions of 50. I think, and yeah. them out in pubs. I think... <laughs> <laughs> well, it all ties in. I mean, everything you... From your conceptual kind of art background to your manifestos with the INS 
um, and all your, your novels, even your, your, you know, your book on Tintin should be read with this because it's, you know, that everything is, is an explanation and, and also this kind of anti-humanist kind of um, stance you take. But I, the, the quote that I, I want to leave it on that I really love was from your review of uh, Jean-Philippe uh, Toussaint's uh, work. And in it you say, we don't want plot depth or content. We want angles, arcs, and intervals. We want pattern. Structure is content, and geometry is everything. And I think if any kind of book epitomises that, I think, I think you've, you've achieved it with, with C. Um, I, I think it's a, a wonderful, wonderful book. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, I suppose I'd better um, open it up to everyone here, if uh, anyone would like to ask Tom, a question. Is it on? Yes. Hello. Um, I read C, and then I I wanted to just stay in the subject matter, and then I revisited Finnegan's Wake, and then I, I I stopped doing that, and then I read um, and then I'm reading Solaris at the moment, and um. I think there's something about I haven't really got a, a haven't really formalized this yet but there's something about um the relationship of um the the, the woman or the, or the the dead woman and um and how she sits in between the transmission and the reception yeah. and you know in Solaris the message is just pure information she's the dead wife but there's yeah. no message Really? Yeah. And she's just reconstituted yeah. and unconstituted and materially. She kind of melts. Exactly. And, stuff. and yeah. Serge's these kind of repetitive encounters yeah. he has with women, they're sort of noise in between yeah. his and I don't really know what what that is, but it's kind it, it, it kind of is interesting to me. I don't know if you and the dead sister and how she's kind of constantly interfering with his yeah. I don't know, his narrative. Well, no, totally. I mean she becomes the kind of Finnegan's I mean Finnegan's weight was a a real, whatever, template or, or beacon for this book because of this relationship between the family and technology and incest and insects, you know, which is a kind of switcheroo he keeps doing, and insectuousness and you know, all the mutations he takes all those things through. And, um, and archaeology, I mean, yeah, it, it's... it's um, and with, I mean, yeah, I hadn't, I, I wasn't directly thinking of Solaris. I mean, I love that film. I've seen it like about five times, and it's and it's brilliant. And um, and it is kind of yeah, Orpheus and Eurydice and all that. And um, but I was thinking quite a lot. I mean, in fact, often when I write, I think about Tarkovsky because his um, with, when it's descriptive passages because he's so descriptive and so material as well. I mean, people that kind of say he's a Christian, I think, are just utterly missing the point. I think it's all about, like that bit in Stalker where he's just lying, there's a kind of seven-minute shot and he's lying by the river and it's dirty and there's oil in it and there's broken icons and guns and kind of bleeding cartridges of broken guns and it's all just mished, mishmashed together, this huge kind of material archive it's it's all about a kind of materiality of of surface and of <clears throat> psychic life in in Tarkovsky and in Joyce Joyce is a total total materialist this obsession with shit you know in his life and his work <laughs> so yeah now all these things are yeah sure absolutely they're kind of Um, you, know, you were talking on, on the one hand about um, literature, uh, sentimental literature, and on the other hand, you were talking about modernism and anti-humanism, and uh, in a way, the ideas you were putting forth about melancholia, I mean, melancholia is suffused with, with feeling. Um, by now, the relationship between technology and melancholia, and the background that we have by now, it is, I wouldn't say sentimental, but it's certainly suffused with feelings of nostalgia and for what it is, what could have been, and also the sheer excitement of technology is, is also very much suffused with feeling, with, with, with something that is like 
I wouldn't say sentimental, but it's certainly there's some excitement there. Oh yeah. That yeah, that yeah. that is very much related to feeling. So how do you make? How do you separate yeah. what is yeah. actually this kind yeah. of feeling and this kind of suffusion yeah. from sentimentality? Well, I'm. This kind of what, what I was saying right at the beginning, maybe when when you asked your first question. I mean about desire. I mean this novel is toast. It's about love. It's a love novel. It's about desire. It's about an intensity of. Um, I mean a surge, right? A surge that's so strong it blows the whole circuitry. Um, but I'm just not interested in kind of redacting that or, or, or letting it play out in a sentimental way, in a way that Serge is at his sister's funeral going, damn, I feel really sad, this is awful. And, you know, it's so much more... OK, here's, here's another two traditions thing. Um, psychology versus psychoanalysis, right? Psychology is a very, ultimately, a kind of humanist discourse. It's about how we feel yeah. and how we understand that. And and psych- the, the kind of psychoanalysis is totally different. It's about kind of structures and... Um, and codes and and but it's absolutely about you know excitement and about desire and drives and but but for the psychoanalyst you know you don't listen to what someone says you listen to what they're not saying you listen to the rhythms you look at their you know the way that 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 um words and images and memories have got meshed and translated and transformed and play out over time and this is something that plays out at a level much bigger than the individual and it's just so much more dynamic. You know, for a psychologist, if you want to understand mental life, you take a biopsy of a murderer's brain, whereas for Freud, you read Antigone. I mean, I know what I'd rather be doing, you know, than you read Hamlet, then you go and look at David Lynch's films, and so on and so on. I mean, so, so, does that... Does that yeah. Different ways of construing and, and thinking about desire. So, yeah. Hi. This might be quite a bland question, but I actually really want to know the answer, so I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, you talked about uh, looking at different angles and patterns in literature, and I thought that was really interesting. And uh, I haven't read two yet, but that definitely was the case in Remainder. And I was wondering, do you enjoy looking looking and creating patterns and angles more with the plot and with the story, or with the language and with the way you execute it? Well, kind of both, really. I mean, it's it's quite hard to kind of separate them out. I mean, when I had the idea for C, I was um, I kind of knew what was going to happen in terms of the plot that it was going to start in this kind of Arcadian family estate and end in Egypt and and go through the war and it would all revolve around the dead sister and and so on and so on. And but but what I realised straight away as well, I was reading um, actually I was reading not Freud but the Wolfman's own account of his life which is really interesting it's like really good well, fiction the, I mean it is <laughs> yeah. but, but, but what's important in his mental life is and it's, it's very Finnegan's wakeish. I mean this, the, the way that kind of um, monads of, of clusters of kind of associations kind of grow and almost like some kind of cancer or something and they, they link to other ones that are continually kind of feeding each other and this is a very linguistic thing so his even his actions often play out. Um, also, he, he's Russian and English and French, and it's, uh, I mean he speaks all these languages, which are all mashing together like like in like in Joyce. And um, so, what I'm trying to say is, even events that in the plot of his life are actually just playing out linguistic kind of tropes and <coughs> tendencies. And and I wanted this book to be like that as well, and revolve around certain terms like insects and incest and. You know, there's lots of missed hearings, and Sistine becomes sister, and Sistine chapels, and cysts, and you know, the, the, there's a whole bunch of kind of metonyms, if you like, that that go through the book. And in a way, that's that's the plot as much as the plot. <laughs> I think what's interesting about that, there's all that going on, but still, Serge has this steadfast refusal. There's a bit in the book where he's um, with his um, fellow pilots, and there's been a series of, of accidents. And um, someone's uh, crash died, oh, and, yeah, their bod- yeah, in, and their body has um, putrefied into kind of acid, and it's scarred the grass. 
and some one of his kind of fellow pilots goes, oh, you know, all those memories, all the, all that desire, all that life there in the grass, and you go turn to battery acid. And Serge goes, well, yeah, that's what we are. So there's all there's all that going on in it, you know, all this. But yeah. he still steadfastly refuses to kind of, you know, acknowledge this this kind of psychology. Of no, but in a way that that is his acknowledgement. I mean, he is the ultimate. I mean, like the guy in Remainder as well. He's the ultimate. Um, votive um, mourner but he's, so the guy in, in Remainder when, when the drug dealer has been shot and the police have just taken the photos, cleared the street, you know, opened it up to traffic the guy in Remainder goes back and back and back to that spot and reenacts a hundred times the moment of his death through all the material traces the cigarette butt half smoked, you know the angle of the bit of the puddle, the angle of the bollard that looks mm-hmm. like a column of a necropolis or something and and it's the same with Serge there he's not dismissing this guy's life he's saying the battery acid that that is the kind of it's like reminder you know there's a bit there's a bit in pound you know when he's yeah. totally going mad and he describes his brain as being like a leaky battery everything is just firing off he says I could not make it all cohere radio metaphor and 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 so this moment of his kind of schizophrenia is experienced as a totally kind of material Technological thing. I mean, that that's not lesser. I think it's more. It's more. Well, this kind of um, <laughs> almost like the poetry of Francis Punge, where oh yeah, yeah, you know, where, where the yeah. materiality of things are laid out bare and it's dissected, and you look at it yeah. for what it is to see what it is. But language kind of comes to grief within that within that dissection, yeah. and 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 it's a, and as things become sacred, and yeah. Um, we've all been very serious tonight talking about Heidegger and mourning and melancholia, um, but it occurred to me that um, in Lack Beetle is Lachen, and I wondered if the playfulness of the 20s, like the mashups, were part of, supposed to be part of it as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, he, he, um, he hangs out with, with all these uh, kind of chorus girls who sing, um, you know, chorus reviews about. Amazonians and how you have to keep abreast of everything, you know, if you're an Amazonian and um, it's kind of I guess that's a joke kind of thing, there's lots of, <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of there's, I think, I, I mean I, 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 I think there's a lot of I had, I was smiling a lot while I wrote it yeah, yeah, no, it, it's true, but that's you're absolutely right, and what people, like, even people like Adorno when they write about Beckett, they just miss how just how funny it is, or writing about Kafka, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny that someone wakes up as a beetle, it's kind of ridiculous and that he can't even flip himself over, but you know. Be- Beckett said there's nothing funnier than unhappiness Yeah, it's true, <laughs> I mean yeah, no, this is something that in, in one of, um Sorry, it's getting all serious again. But, but in one of the it's me, it's me, INS sorry. declarations with um, that that I wrote with Simon Critchley, we we, we kind of go on a bit about how about comedy is actually much much worse than than tragedy. I mean, in tragedy, you can you throw yourself into death in order to authentically kind of experience that moment transcendently and, and become heroic. And in comedy, that that option's removed because you can't die. Properly, you know, Wiley Coyote just gets shot and blown again up, and, and again. again and again, and and this is this is what what you get in Beckett as well. Vladimir and Estrogen just can't fucking die, you know, <laughs> and it's just dreadful. And uh, but you know, but, but it's but, but it's got the, funny as well. The unspoken seriousness of that. Yeah, well, but it? also, yeah, the flip side is the unspoken fun, or the well, hopefully spoken funniness yeah. of. I mean, Wiley Coyote is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> this this inability to to, to die. Um, I, I kind of come from a, a non-literary background. I, I didn't really know your previous books. I didn't know if this was like first book or whatever. I only found out about it through um, kind of a, a, a preview in a newspaper that um, kind of mentioned the, the key points of radio experimentalism, sort of turn of the century, Marconi, First World War, Egypt, um, though, all the girls and everything. And when I, when I read it, I, I kind of have an amateur interest in um, sort of radio pioneers. And I kind of, not knowing that you do previous original works, I was thinking if you had maybe done a bit of a, a copy and paste life story of, uh, there's a guy called Peter Exley that I was sort of reading about, and I was thinking, hmm, all these key points, it kind of, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about this if it's just a copy and paste. And then when I read it 
thankfully it wasn't. Um, That's good. Uh, so I should make that very, very clear. Um, he, he's an English guy, and, and, and um, his, his written notes are, are very English. And then, and then when I was reading C... Is he, is he a historical figure? Is he from the early 20th century? Yeah, yeah, early 20th century, um, sort of 22... Onwards. Oh, is he the guy doing like ray guns and or trying to do? No, no, no. Um, BBC early okay. um, radio engineer, kind of with that thing. Um, and yes, when I was reading C, the whole flow of the story compared to his life story, because I had that in mind or whatever. I was thinking, oh, are you, are you taking those bits, you know, which you hadn't? And I was thinking, why was it different? You know, why kind of did it feel different? And uh, and and you kind of nailed it on the head the moment you said um, Germanic there with it with the Heidegger and everything like that and um, yeah I just want to say well done for making it very original <laughs> and for not copying this guy a very, um, yeah that is really interesting for it to be mentioned the Germanic bent rather than the English bent of him traditionally being say English or whatever right. oh thanks like a lot that. But there is a there, there is there is a lot of copying and pasting. Actually, I mean, like there's Bell, Bell is in there a lot, and Marconi, whose parents met on a silk farm, and I mean there was there was a lot of, and, and Bell's father ran a school for the deaf and would get the kids to um, recite poetry, and I mean there is a lot of things that are taken and. Should I go over here? There's this gentleman in a grey shirt. Cheers. There's always a real temptation. With an author, just to check you're getting your references right and that I'm spotting things uh, that you're deliberately doing. So I'm kind of tempted to ask about Kafka and ghosts in the post and the ghosts that feed off transmission. And I'm kind of tempted to ask about Michael Serres and transmission and feedback. I think I am actually going to ask about Michael Serres' friend Herge uh, and just ask you if you've managed to kind of work out the neurosis of finding Jolion Wag on the radio or <laughs> Mr. Cuts the Butcher on the yeah. other end of the phone. Yeah. And really about the anxiety, you know, what, you, what are you doing with those inferences? I really want you to reassure me. Uh, I'm reading into your books in a successful and, and worthwhile way, and I really think I probably am. Yeah, no, Tintin is... I mean, Hergé is... Um, he's fantastic. I think he's as big an influence for me as, as Conrad or Shakespeare or something. I mean, I spent... Seriously, I think he's a complete genius and there's a, a richness and complexity to his work and, and, you know, not for nothing does... I mean, all the Egyptian stuff, I mean, straight Tintin, right? And, and in Tintin, you've always got... You've got the family crypt at Marlinspike. I mean, Tintin enters it through the crypt and then, then you've, you're on the other side of the world, you've got these burial chambers that he always kind of penetrates somehow or other and, and they're kind of the same space and then there's an interesting family history with Hergé which involves secret affiliation and it's kind of too long to go into right now and um, and there's all this obsession with, with transmissions as well I mean Tintin, he's meant to be a journalist but he only ever once actually files a story, what he actually does in the books is, is tune in again and again and again, he's a radio operator tracking down signals and and um, and talking of Michel Serre, I mean, you, you know the essay he wrote, right, about the, the Castafiori Emerald. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. And, and for him, that whole book is a, basically it's a kind of essay on, um, it, it's a treatise on communication and, and all the media and the TV is there and the message gets lost and it's all about transmission breakdown. And so, yeah, no, Hergé and, and Serre, you know, but Hergé Moore is, is a huge influence and you're not wrong at all to read it in there. <laughs> um, I know you said uh, technology wasn't really the, the hero of the book but um, to, to some extent do you feel like you're kind of picking up where the, the future is left off in that you know kind of man as being becoming one with machine and kind of pushing you into the future I mean there's definitely that, that moment in it I mean Marinetti is, is there you know and in the war bit there are whole phrases that are lifted from, from spattering you know spatterings of half sentences in, in my book that, have, that I've taken straight from, from Marinetti as a kind of you know blatant um, you know recitation or whatever if, if, you, if you know the source but I mean there is a difference you know for Marinetti it's year zero it's, it's everything the past just burn it forget it and, and I'm that's not. I'm much more. In, you know, this. This is the the, the past is very. I'm, I'm more down with Faulkner on that. He says the past isn't 
dead it's not even past you know <laughs> and um and and so Marinetti would have I don't think he'd have been in, interested in that at all um but it's definitely I mean yeah that that's that's embedded embedded in there but I don't I don't really see myself as taking it further I don't see myself as taking anything further I mean it's it's not about even about going further I mean this is the question this is the big question that the avant-garde in particular kind of poses like what do you do after four and a half minutes of silence 433 by cage I mean the challenge is not to do five and a half minutes or six and a half it's not that that's not what's interesting is it has to be navigated kind of differently perhaps and and um and you know Joyce understood everything as as, as the loop didn't he I mean it, it Literature doesn't progress. That was the commodious speakers of recirculation. It's all it's all about um, going back into the rubbish tip, which is what literally happens at the beginning of Finnegan's Wake. There are letters. He calls it literature, you know, and, and then you go into the rubbish tip and bring out bits and recombine them and produce new stuff. It's not about going forwards. It's about going round. You say in your INS, which isn't the same as just straight up repetition of the same. Sorry. Yeah. You say in your INS uh, declaration on the future, the point is that historically speaking, we'd advance not into new ground, but over old ground in new ways, um, more consciously with deeper and more nuanced understanding. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of what yeah. Joyce yeah, did. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. For, for Vico, the, the Joyce get his, it gets his idea of the loop from Vico, and, and the Italian word is ricorso. Mm which is untranslatable because it has the sense of kind of a, a repetition but also a legal sense of a retrial or an appeal so there's a kind of historical you know which is it's the type of thing like like in in Beckett's happy days when Winnie she does the same actions every single day but she's aware of it so she's going you know yesterday I came here and I took out this mirror and I took out this gun and and I'll do the same tomorrow which means it's not the same because because now we're not aware of having been here before, and if we come back tomorrow and reenact this, so I can, you know, there's, there's, and, and, and so on ad infinitum. It's like what Deleuze says: the only thing you can actually repeat is the difference. <laughs> so, so yeah. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes.